But today, as I was just before the Lord the last couple weeks, I heard so clearly on the heart of God. And, um, and, and, and I titled the teaching today, Givers and Takers. Everybody say, Givers and Takers. Now, most of the Christmas movies, I don't know if you've been doing that with your family, but trying to go you know, re-watch some of the old Christmas movies, many of them come from a premise of the gift of Christmas, um, the, uh, the heart of giving, most of it. In fact, one of my favorites, one of my old school favorites is from, you know, the Charles Dickens novel, uh, A Christmas Carol. And one of my favorite characters, obviously, is Ebenezer Scrooge. Everybody remember that one? And this whole bah humbug. And the whole premise of that book and then the movie, the storyline, for those of you who have been living under a rock, is that, is that this man has become so greedy, he's such a taker, and he's not a giver. And so what happens in the storyline, and many of the Christmas movies have taken a portion of that, and the, the Grinch who stole Christmas, it's all from that, that person's become a taker and not a giver anymore, and the spirit of Christmas, if you will, sets them free so they can be like, um, you know, Jesus, quite frankly, uh, to become a giver again, and, and then the, the movie there with Scrooge, what happens is he has, you know, three encounters with the spirit of, the, uh, of Christmas past, or the spirit of the past, or ghost of the past, whatever it is, the future and the present and then the future. And in each one of those, they reveal to him how much of a taker he is, how, how grumpy and mean and holding on to everything, thereby creating such havoc with everyone around him. But by the end of it all, by the end of it all, he realizes that he's been a taker and he becomes a giver in a moment. And you know, it's the, it's the, it's the whole glorious moment as he goes and buys the biggest turkey and brings it to the poor family and he's standing out handing money to all the little street kids who he all but cursed out every day when he saw them. And just the spirit of giving that transpired inside of him, thereby murdering, if you will, the nature of a taker. And that's what I want to bring forth to you today, because that's actually a biblical principle much more than it was a Hollywood principle. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. And so with that being said, I just want to remind you that Jesus is the great giver and Satan is the great taker. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. In fact, look what the scripture says about our Jesus in Romans. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift. Everybody say gift. Say it again, gift. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God gave us a gift by which we can have eternal life, and that's through Jesus Christ. I love what John 10, 10 says. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Jesus came to give you life while Satan's trying to take life out of you. Jesus came to give. Why? He's the great giver. Satan is the great taker. And I would present to you that in the life that we live, you're either a giver or you're a taker. And, and those of us who have come to Christ, we should take on the very nature of our Jesus who, who didn't think it was, he, he didn't think it was too below him to come and become a man to die for our sins, giving his life so that you and I could have salvation I love that Luke chapter, uh, excuse me, John chapter 10 and verse 17 says it like this. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life. No one, no one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus says, no one takes my life. I give it. I freely give it for your salvation, for your transformation. I love that Luke chapter 7 and verse 21. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. When Jesus walked on the planet, 
planted, if you couldn't see, he gave you sight. If you were depressed, he gave you life. Everywhere he went, he gave, whereas we know Satan to be the one who came to kill, steal, and destroy. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He wants to take life from you. He wants to take joy from you. He wants to take a goodness from you. He hates you and he is the great taker, whereas Jesus is the great giver. And my question to us today, are we of our, are we of our Savior Jesus as great givers? Or are we still operating in the old way of our sinfulness? And that is that of a taker like Satan, who he is. In fact, look what also John 10 10 says about him, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the enemy's plan. And I'm telling you, each and every one of us probably have a little bit of residue left over from our old nature, our old sin nature, and where we have these habits of taking instead of giving. I'm not just talking about money, ladies and gentlemen. I'm talking about love. I'm talking about kindness. I'm talking about empathy. I'm talking about uh, being able to forgive even though you don't feel like you have, you should have to forgive. I'm talking about being able to be kind even though they've not been kind to you. I'm talking about giving what you may never receive back from that person. I'm talking about not being a taker who's always taking attention, always taking affection, but never giving anything else. Friend, today God's going to set us free from the spirit of Ebenezer Scrooge. He's going to set us free from the wickedness of the life that we came out of. We are no longer going to live in a posture of takers, but we're going to become great givers. Are you with me today? Say yes. I want you to understand how important this was with God when he birthed the New Testament church. So you have to understand, when Jesus came to this planet, he could have done many things. He could have set up a giant church, could have lived forever in that church, and all of us could have journeyed Magigoria to go get to him so that we could know him. But instead, he could have married, had kids, and we could have just ran around trying to follow his kids. But what Jesus did was he died, he resurrected, and then he empowered his followers with the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells in us. That's why before you were a Christian, you would cuss somebody, you would, you, would, you would slam someone to the ground, you would steal from someone and never feel bad about it because they deserved it. Once you became a Christian, the Spirit of the living God began to live inside of you. And though you may go to curse someone, you start feeling bad about it. You say, I never felt bad before. That's because you didn't have the Spirit of the living God living inside of you. Now, the Spirit of the living God begins to convict you. Why? Because Jesus is the great giver. Satan is the great taker. And so, as he birthed the beginnings of Christianity or the New Testament church, they begin to have these supernatural experiences with the Holy Spirit. In fact, what we read in the book of Acts, the early churches, it's happening. It says, and they all begin to give to one another. They get saved, they begin to follow Jesus, and they get filled with his Holy Spirit, and they just start selling property. They start giving stuff away so that the Bible says that not one of the people who were following Jesus had any needs in their community. They met everyone's needs because like, I don't need this extra truck. I'll give it to you, brother. You need it for your business. And they just began to get, and the Bible says because of this, because of this spirit of giving, because of the nature of God that they took on, that of a giver versus where they had always been takers, give me that. I got to get, I got to get ahead of everybody else. I got to get in line before everybody else. All of a sudden that was broken off of them. And now the early church began to have this, had this spirit of giving and they were just giving. And the Bible says they found favor with the whole city, the whole community, because they were like, what is this? What is this thing? This ain't religion. This is something different. These people are not the same people. 
These people, that guy right there, used, that guy used, right there used to do, do me dirty when he came to do my electrical work because he would overcharge me and underperform. And now all of a sudden he's coming and doing stuff free for me? Who is this guy? What has happened to him? This thing begins to take off because people now are getting delivered from the old taker mentality, the old nature of a taker. And now all of a sudden they're just a giver and they're just a giver. They're just a giver. And as they're doing, like they're Jesus, as they're doing that, the whole world goes, what is this? I want it. I want this. Friend, before there was ever a Hollywood version of Christmas, Jesus himself, the great giver, began to reach his own people with the spirit of giving versus the spirit of taking. But then there's this moment, as all of this is happening, they're selling lands and they're, they're bringing it to the apostles' feet. So I just, I had this inheritance and I just sold it because I know there are people in our church, I know there's people in our congregation who have nothing. I want you to take this and I want you to provide for them. This is happening in such a great capacity, then all of a sudden in chapter 5, something goes wrong. And I want you to pick up there with me in chapter 5 of the book of Acts and verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 6, and then I'll just communicate the best I can with the rest of it. It says, now a man named Ananias, it's not a typical man name in our era, but anyway, that was his name. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, I guess they like jewels, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. And he brought the rest and he put it at the apostles' feet. This is what was happening. People were doing this and it's the spirit of giving. It's just powerful, right? So he does the same thing, but he holds back some of the money. Then Peter said to Ananias, How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept back for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Verse 4. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? It's yours. You could have done anything with it. What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. So obviously what's transpired is he walked into the congregation of believers, and maybe you've seen those kind of churches where they say, now how much are you going to give? Brother, I'm going to give $100,000. Hallelujah. We're going to pay off the kids' ministry. You know, I don't, I don't know what environment you came out of. But obviously, something was happening where these guys were declaring in the church like, hey, I, I've got, got $100,000 coming from the land that I'm going to sell. I'm going to give every bit of, of the proceeds to the church to help the community believers, help the widows and orphans. I'm going to give it all. And all right, yay, praise the Lord. And then he went and sold it. And as he got the 100000 he was like, oh, I need about 20 of this thousand. You know, I want to remodel the bathroom. I don't know what I was thinking. And he holds it back. And then obviously some type of thing happened where he said, you know, we only got 80000 for it. We didn't really get the 100000 Sorry, apostles. And Peter looks at him and says, bro, what are you doing? It's your money. It was at your disposal. Why would you lie? And you need to understand, you didn't lie to me, bro. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a carrier of God's presence. You lied to God himself. And look what it says in verse 5. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And it says, and great fear seized all who heard about what happened. They're like, oh, snap. Because you know I ain't tell the truth about where I was at last night with my wife. I was actually at at my friend's house. Oh, my goodness. If you'll keep reading, and I'll just paraphrase it for you. His wife comes later in the day, and Peter asks her, hey, you know, Ananias told us about the money that you got for that land, and you wanted to donate all of it, and it was like, like you only got 80000 instead of 100000 and in full knowledge, as the Bible says, 
She says, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And he goes, how dare you lie to God? Look at the, these men right here. See their feet? That's because they just came from burying your husband out in the dirt. And then, pa-pow, she falls down dead. When I first read that as a new Christian, I was like, um, I don't want to be a Christian no more. <laughs> like, this is, <laughs> like, you mean. What kind of God kills people because they don't tell the whole truth? Like, I'm in trouble. <laughs> like, who can live this way? And the Lord began to speak to me on this, and this is why I bring it to you today. This has nothing to do with all of our humanity and all of our sinfulness. This has everything to do that God was setting the pattern for what it is to be a real Christian, for what it is to be the real church. And you need to know this. If the pattern is flawed, every reproduction after that will be even more flawed. God is protecting the pattern in this moment because if he doesn't show that there has to be purity in our hearts and the church has to be a place where we're honest and authentic and that we just, we just own the fact that, we, that we're struggling a little bit. And what, what, what Ananias should have said is, you know, guys, listen, I, I told you I'd give 100000 but listen, I, I really need, I, I, as I'm thinking about it, I'm only going to give the eighty. And they would have been like, thank you, Jesus, magnificent. Good. You're not lying to God about trying, because what he was trying to do was look better. What he was taking for himself was the favor of all the people. What he wanted was everyone to go, oh, wow. That's what he wanted. He was a taker, and he still didn't have the heart of a giver. And God was like, listen, my church cannot be full of takers. It has to be full of givers, because to be like my son Jesus, who gave his life, this is what it is to be a Christian. Friend, when you hold back kindness to someone, you're being like Satan. When you hold back forgiveness for somebody, you're being like Satan. When you hold back the, the, the resources that you have to help someone else who's in need, you're being like Satan. You're not being like Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you right now, the Bible is very clear that Jesus gave everything that he was, everything that he is, and that his followers in the New Testament church began to do the same thing. And as they took on the spirit of Christ and that of a giver, all of a sudden miracles after miracles after miracles began to happen. So when someone brought in their old taker attitude, their old taker selfish ambition piece, when they walked in with that, God said, I will not have it. Ba-pow, dead you are. I cannot have that in this beautiful environment of giving. I can't have a taker consuming the givers. I can't let that thing be in the early church because then the pattern will be skewed and every church congregation after that will think it's okay to be like that and I'm not going to put up with it because what I am is pure and righteous and those who follow me will be like my son Jesus and they will be givers just like he was. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. Come on, you can better do better now. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. So let me just help you because we all have a little bit of residue of the taker thing. Come on, say amen. Nobody better than me, an only child, to confront this thing in my life. So I appreciate y'all being here as I preach to myself. I hope you get something out of it too. So let me just give you a couple thoughts on how to come, come on back into that of a giver and push aside, if you will, that old nature of a taker. Here's the first thing that I've learned that we have to do. Number one, you got to break the spirit of poverty. Some of the richest people I've ever known have a spirit of poverty. What's the spirit of poverty? I never have enough. It's never good enough. It's mine. I work for it. It's mine. That's a spirit of poverty. Because poverty says, I don't have enough. It's not good enough. What's mine is mine, and what's yours is going to be mine if I can get to it. I'll never forget when, when I was working with my lead pastor at a church years ago, and he looked at me and he said, I love you 
but you operate from a spirit of poverty. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you do. He said, you fight for every penny and every dollar, and you're scared that it's going to be taken from you. Now, for those of us that didn't grow up with a whole lot, it's probably obvious that we operate and struggle with a spirit of poverty. And he said, Adam, you need to understand money's just a tool for God to use. Like, any, like a wrench or a hammer or a screwdriver is just a tool. Money's not evil. The love of money is evil. And I, said, and I, said, I didn't understand. He goes, let, let me show you. He goes, see that man right there? He said, why would you not give him something? And I, I'll never forget. I was like, well, because I've worked really hard for what I've got. He hasn't. He's made bad decisions. He goes, right. See, that's the spirit of poverty on you. Because you think he's not worthy of anything for you to give him because he hasn't worked as hard as you've worked. That's a spirit of poverty. It has to be broken over you. And he goes, and here's what I want to do. He said, I want to teach you. And he took me. He took me to a place of investment. And he said, walk me in. He goes, I want to open up an account. Schwab. I want to open up an account for this young man. And, um, and they said, well, yes, sir. How much money do you, does he want to open it up with? And I don't have any money. He goes, give him $5,000 out of my account. Because I want to teach you that money is nothing more than a resource to help other people and break the spirit of poverty off of you. And, and he said, if you break that, then it'll break off how, much, how liberal you are with giving love and kindness to others. Because, see, I was operating from a good religious kid who grew up in church and did it right when all the other kids did it wrong. So I thought because of my own merit of being such a good prayer, but never going out and having sex and doing drugs and all that other stuff, fighting hard to look, look like Jesus, act like Jesus, pray more than all the other young people did, serve better than all the other young pastors did, that I would have all the great things of God. And what that was was a poverty mentality that I had to work for his approval, that I had to work for his affection, that I had to work for what I got. And in that moment, as this man gave me a great gift, that that money then could make money that I could use to help others. It set me free from that spirit right then and there. Some of you walk in a spirit of poverty. So when the Lord says, give them that right there, you're like, I ain't doing that. I need it. How much junk do you really need in your garage? How, much, how, many, how, much, how many rooms can you fill with stuff? And I realized that, and God set me free in that moment. If you're going to be a giver, you got to get free from the spirit of poverty. And it's a real simple thing. Lord, set me free from a spirit of poverty. So you may, be, you may be a giver in one area and very impoverished in another area. You may be very liberal with your finances but be and a, a real giver with your finances, but be very stingy with your love, with your kindness. Here's the second truth now that you don't want to look up at me. Here's the second <laughs> truth that I would teach you. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Sorry, online guys, I love you so much. <laughs> Here's the second truth on how to become a giver, and that is you need to learn to trust in his unfailing hand. I know normally would say love, those of you that have been around the church for a long time, but his unfailing hand. His hand will always provide for his children. My mom and dad, when they went to the mission field, the Lord spoke to them and said, because they didn't have a whole lot, and he spoke to them, he says, from my hand to your mouth, I will take care of you. I will feed you, I will set, you go do the work that I have, you be a conduit, and everywhere you go, I will take care of you. And friend, can I tell you something? God will supply 
all your needs according to his riches and glory. May not be all your wants, but he will supply all of your needs. And to learn to trust in that is a whole nother level of becoming a giver. I'm telling you, it's a whole nother level. Say, Lord, I will give this away because you asked me to. And I trust that it's for, for, for kingdom business. And I know that you'll take care of me and mine. I know, Lord God, that I'm not gonna, this is not being irresponsible. This is being a giver. And as you learn to trust his unfailing hand. The Bible says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. Either you believe that or you don't. See, you've got to get free from the spirit of poverty to be able to trust. Because if you trust in your ability, what happens when you don't have ability anymore? What happens when your ability fails you? What happens when that education doesn't provide for you the way they said it would? What happens when your strength from your 20s is not there in your 40s and 50s? And you based every bit of your life trajectory on your ability to perform and produce. What happens when you're not able to produce at the level you thought you could? Friend, I'm going to tell you something. You better learn to trust in his unfailing hand. He will never leave you or forsake you. His ways are higher than your ways. He has a perfect plan for your life. And he will supply all. Everybody say all. all. My, My needs according to his riches and glory. So you say, you know, no one ever validates me. And so that's why you hold out validation for other people. You don't give them validation because no one's ever validated you. See, and I tell you, when you start giving validation to others, you will not believe how he will supply all your needs for validation supernaturally. Because what happens is you free that up for it to move. Are you tracking? Or is that okay? Here, let me give you the third thing that I would teach, and that is this. If you're going to learn to be a giver, the third thing you need to do is you need to grow up. Grow up. Babies are always taken. Children are always taken. Grown-ups give. Christmas time. Everybody say amen. You grown-ups ain't getting jack. I'm going to just tell you that right now. <laughs> Maybe a little color crayon thing from school because the third-grade teacher's like, we better give them something so they'll sign up for helping us at the school. But at the end of the day, you guys know the difference between a child and a grown-up. A grown-up gives. And the joy... The joy of being a grown-up, the joy of watching them enjoy the gifts that they're getting, that I don't have to get anything as long as they get to, they get to receive. That's an attitude shift that you need to move into and stop being the taker, the little kid who always needs affection, who has to show up at church and always have everybody pray for you and tell them all your problems and throw up on every one of our leaders because, you know, it's just your life is so bad. And at some point, you need to grow up and say, you know what? Instead of always being a taker, I'm going to give. I'm showing up at church this Sunday because I'm going to pray for somebody. I got a little scripture that I read this week that's not just for me. It's for somebody else. And I'm looking for who it is in the parking lot. Excuse me. You look like a great candidate for a gift that I want to give you right now. I was reading in the book of Romans. I thought it was for me, but I realized I've, I've got to break out of that baby mentality. I got something to give you. I want to give it to you because I am growing up. I'm no longer just a taker. Come on now. I'm not just always sucking. I'm actually giving. The Bible actually talks about those branches that never produce fruit, that God has to cut them off. Because what they become is sucker branches. They suck all the nutrients from the vine, but they never produce anything because they'll never give anything because all they want to do is take. And so he says, I will cut them off and throw them into the fire. I will bundle them up and throw them into the fire. And he's called us to re reproduce fruit. In other words, to be a giver, even as God's given to us. Are you tracking with me? We are supposed to be conduits. The joy of being a conduit. The joy, I, I, I tell God every Sunday, Lord, I am your extension cord. That old ugly orange extension cord. Come on, anybody know what I, I I'm just that nobody talks about how beautiful the extension cord is. 
But you plug me into his power source, plug me into you, his great light. You, you're the great lamp of, of the earth, and his power flows through me to you and lights you up, and you go change the world. That's all I am. Nobody talks, oh, that's amazing. I love that extension cord. Oh, you want to see my extension cord? Have you seen my extension? I have the best extension cord. I go to the best extension cord church in America. It talks about the extension cord. It's the fire of God flowing from heaven through me to you in these moments like right here. I'm nobody special and you're nobody special, but you want to learn how to be an extension of God's mercy, his grace, his kindness, his joy, his finances, his resources. Don't you understand? At any moment, he could drop a gold brick out of heaven into your backyard and you have more money than you know what to do with. But what would you do with it? As a taker, you'd hold on to it for your own self. I engage with a gentleman who has millions and millions of dollars come through his hand a year. He made it his cry to God. He said, God, if you will entrust me with millions of dollars, I will give it to every young minister, every person believing for miracles. I will be your conduit. The man lives in a simple apartment. He's given away millions and millions of dollars every year. It comes to his hand. He gives it away. Ministries are birthed. People are saved. Transfer, transfer, uh, transformation in lives because he just gives it. He gives it. He gives it. He gives it. He'll come over to Christ for the Nations, the Bible school, where you got all these little young, young ministers trying to believe God for miracles financially, and he'll just get to walking on the property. And he'll walk up to a young man. How you doing? Oh, I'm believing God. I don't have the money to finish school. They're, gonna, they're not going to let me finish. And he'll say, let me come right back to you. And he'll go get that money out of his account that someone gave him, and he'll give it to them and get their bills paid off. And these kids go off and become some of the greatest ministers in the world because this man, Wayne Myers, has understood I'm nothing more than a conduit. He's one of the most mature men I've ever been around in my entire life. And anytime he walks up to me, I say, sir, speak, because your servant is listening, I, whatever you had to say, because of the maturity, because he knows what it is to be a giver and not a taker. Are you tracking? Say yes. Here's the fourth way you and I can biblically move from being that of a taker to a giver, and that is you need to open your heart to others. You need to open your heart to others. Empathize with their pain. Empathize with their pain. Now, if you've still got that spirit of poverty on you, then you can't empathize with someone else's pain because you believe that you got yourself where you're at financially. You got yourself. No one else took care of you. No one else watched out for you. So everybody else needs the same path that you went through. And so they deserve to have to have that same suffering. Years ago in my 20s, I was a real big fan of this conservative uh, talk radio guy named uh, uh, Limbaugh, Rush Limbaugh. And I used to love, he's just so brilliant and so forth. And I'd listen to him, but I stopped listening to him. Again, in my 20s was years ago. I stopped listening to him because in one episode, he went off this, into, down this rabbit hole about homeless. And he began to say that the homeless people deserve what they got because everyone can work in the United States and blah, 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 blah. Now, that sounded good philosophically, but if you've ever, and I've lived on the streets with the homeless people. If you've ever engaged with someone in that kind of pain, then you recognize that they can't do for themselves and they just need a leg up. They don't necessarily need a handout, they just need a hand up. And how horrible for us to not empathize with what they're going through and the depression that they're suffering from and the mental anguish and mental difficulties that many of them are struggling for and to not give an opportunity and not care about them as though they're some worthless piece of trash on the street that embarrasses us and causes our property value to go down in the areas in which we live. And when he went down that tyrant, I was like, you're done to me. Why? Because that's not the heart of a giver. That's not the nature of Christ. 
because Christ went to all those homeless. What do, you think, what do you think leopards were? They were homeless people full of leprosy. No one cared about them. No one could help them, but Jesus could. And he went right into their knee, and he gave what he had, the supernatural power of God. Do you mean to tell me that the gospel can't help a man who's lost his mental ability to even reason and think right and is living up under a bridge? You mean to tell me that my Jesus is so limited that he can't help that man? What are we doing? You think all he needs is something to eat? That man needs deliverance. That man needs love. That man needs the power of God flowing through his veins just like it's flowing through ours. Do you mean to tell me that that man or that woman who's under that bridge or living up under that tent because of her drug addiction can't get set free by Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of all? How weak is your religion? How weak is your relationship with Jesus that you cannot be a conduit to see someone like that help? How bad is it that we would look at them and say, you're terrible? And I want to tell you something. At the end of the day, God will separate us from the givers and the takers. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 34, it says, and then the king will say, talking about the great judgment, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Verse 36, I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after, you gave me clothes. You gave me something to eat. You gave me something to drink. You took me in and you gave me a little bit of self-respect. I was in prison and you came to visit me and dropping down to verse 40. And it, <clears throat> he says, and then the king will reply. Oh, so, so they then respond, Lord, when did we see you like this? Lord, when did, I don't remember giving Jesus something to drink. And he goes on to say, because if you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. If you had a little bit of empathy for your fellow man, your fellow woman, then you were doing it unto me. And look in verse 40, it says, then the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And then continue on. Then he turns to the other side, to the takers. And he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Because I was hungry and you didn't give me anything to eat. I was thirsty. You didn't care a fly and flip about me. All you did was take from this earth and you never gave anything. And so I got something for you. I got something for you for eternal, eternity thrown into darkness. And the Bible says, and then they will say, but Lord, when did we see you hungry? We wouldn't have passed up Jesus. I'm going to tell you that now. If he had a need, we'd have done all we could. He says, because you didn't do it to the least of these. You haven't done it unto me. Do you know why the world judges Christians so harshly? Because we still have so much remnant of that taker nature that came from our old self. Satan still permeating the church and our Christian walk. That's why God, back to the book of Acts, chapter 5, he said, I can't have Ananias and Sapphira, that spirit of taking. I can't have it in the body, not at the beginning. I can't have it. It'll destroy, it'll, be, it'll become the pattern. Oh, but when you and I shift out of that taker mentality into that giver mentality, and friend, I'm grateful that we have a Christmas holiday to remind us. I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I still live in a country that says, you know what, Christmas is special. And I know that it's been, I know it's been, you know, Hollywoodized and, and all this other kind of mess. But friend, I'm so grateful that someone stops and says, hey, what if, what if, we, what if we gave instead of always taking? What if we cared a little bit more about our fellow brother and sister than we care so much about ourselves? What if it's so much less about Christmas trees and lights and so much more about brothers and sisters who are in need? Friend, can I tell you something? If you and I will come back into a right order with Jesus Christ and be like him, we will be givers and we won't even be able to contain it. He said, I'm giving everything away. 
You know, you'll be calling me. Our husband just gave her car away, Pastor. Stop preaching like that. <laughs> but I promise you, he will never leave you or forsake you. And whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. And if you take on his nature to be a giver, I promise you, he will supply all your needs according to his riches. And what is this life but a vapor? And then it's gone. And we stand before him. Let none of us be found in the camp where he says, I'm sorry. You never once cared to fly and flip that I was hungry. You didn't care about your brother and sister uh, in humanity. And so therefore, you can't be a part of me because takers go here, givers go here. That's like Satan. He's the great taker. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. He came to take joy away from people, take their mental capacities away from them. He came to steal their body and their health and their vitality. But I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Aren't you grateful that we serve the living God who gives us grace? Come on, somebody. Who gives us mercy? Come on, somebody. Who gives us resources? And that's the God we serve, and that's who we should be emulating, and that's who we should be acting like. Would you stand with me quickly? Just a moment. Hey everybody, wasn't that a great message? I know that as we speak, your life is being changed by the word of the Lord. So here's what I want you to do. Take some time to think about it, consider it, pray and ask the Lord how you can apply it to your life today and this week. And maybe there's something that he's asking you to change or do differently in your life. So let's not let this be something that we just watch and then walk away like nothing happened. We're so grateful to be able to hear the word of the Lord. You weren't here in person today, but you're here with us online and that matters. And if you made a decision for Christ today, we wanna know, we wanna know how to come alongside you and how to support you and how we can best pray for you. So please, if you did make that decision for Christ today, text the word DECIDED to 469-606-2684. We can't wait to see you back next week, same time, same place, Share these posts with your friends. Share it on your social media. Blast it out there. Don't be greedy and keep it to yourself. We love you and we'll see you soon. God bless.